بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ نائٹ از دا سیونتھ آف فیبروری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ ٹوئنٹی of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik And I've reached the point where I've mentioned that Sayyidina Hussain is now heading towards Kufa, i.e. due to their requesting his help against the tyrannies of the authorities. So the next section entitled, The Tragic Martyrdom of Imam Hussein and his noble family members radiyallahu ta'ala before Sayyidina Hussein radiyallahu had set off from Makkah several of his well wishes had sincerely advised him not to go to Kufa his noble cousin Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu begged him earnestly not to go stating the people of Kufa were deceitful and treacherous, just like they had been to his, bro- uh, his father and his brother, Ali and Hassan, radiyallahu But Imam Hussein was adamant, radiyallahu So like I mentioned, Hassan, radiyallahu he feared for his brother, either he would be taken in by the Kufans. And then I mentioned that his brother, Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya, rahmatullahi warned him against listening to them. But now, other family members are begging him. Abdullah ibn Abbas, his kind of uncle, cousin, but he's still adamant. Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu realizing he was now determined, he thereupon earnestly requested, if you are bent upon going to Kufa, then at least do not take the women and children. I, he was afraid that they would be slain like Uthman was before his family members. This is in Al-Bidayah, volume 8, page 160. So the second port of call from Abdullah ibn Abbas was if you are determined to go, don't take your family. Now why did he say that? Because you only have to look a few years back and Uthman was brutally murdered with his family members. But he refused even this request. Abdullah ibn Zubair, the other illustrious grandson of Abdul Muttalib, he thereupon pleaded and begged the honorable grandson of the Prophet not to leave. But he replied to him, O ibn Zubair, I have been informed that 40,000 people have taken oath in Kufa that they would support me or else their wives would be divorced and their slaves deemed as liberated. This is in Al-Bidayah, volume 8, page 161. So Abdullah ibn Zubair, who was the great-grandson of Abdul Muttalib, his mother was Asma bin Abu Bakr, his grandfather was Abu Bakr, his father was Zubair, Zubair's mother was Safiya, Safina's father was Abdul Muttalib. So his lineage was second only to the prophets. He was begging him. And what did Hussein say to him? Because 40,000 people have taken oaths that they'll support me, otherwise they're divorced and they're going to free their, their servants. In other words, how can they be treacherous? 
Another person said to Imam Hussein, Radiallahu, O son of Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, their hearts are with you, but their swords are against you. This is in Al-Bidayah, volume 8, page 167. So, who was this person? It may have been Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya, his brother. But like I mentioned yesterday, he goes, they're going to use you for their own benefit. They will, he goes, they will kill you to get whatever they desire. Imam Hussein radiallahu was nevertheless confident of the help of the Kufans because he had already sent his cousin, Muslim ibn Aqil radiallahu to ascertain the situation and he in turn had given him the green light. So who is Muslim ibn Aqil? So his father was Aqil. Aqil was Ali's older brother. Ali had three other brothers. They were all 10 year between each other, a 10 year gap. So Ali was the youngest. Aqil was, sorry, Ja'far radiallahu was 10 years older than Ali. Aqil was 10 years older than Ja'far. And Talib was 10 years older than Aqil. So simply put, Aqil was 20 years older than Ali. One of his sons was called Muslim. So Muslim ibn Aqil was Ali's nephew. But making him the cousin of Hussein. So Imam Hussein sent him. He goes, just see what the situation is like in Kufa. To see whether they are genuine in what they're saying. So when he was in Kufa, he went and initially it was all a bed of roses. So he sent the message back that yes, come quickly. What they have said is what they are determined to do. Subhanallah, Imam Hussein radiallahu had hardly crossed the desert when the tragic news came that Muslim Ibn Aqil radiallahu had been mercilessly killed by the governor of Kufa, Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad. So what happened? Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad, he was made the governor of Kufa by Yazid. And Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad, he knew something was brewing. So when he came to Kufa, by hook and crook, he said to the Kufans, he threatened them, if you are up to mischief, I will do this and I will do that. And then he bribed them as well. He said, if you tell me the whereabouts of Muslim, I will give this and that. So what happened? Eventually, the supporters of Muslim deserted him. And then one by one, they were leaving him. And eventually, he was caught, trapped in a dwelling of a woman. And then what happened was, he was brought to the court room of Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad. And Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad then gave orders that he be taken to the top of the palace and then thrown off. I.e. as a sign to those who go against the authority. So Muslim ibn Aqil, before he was going to be martyred, he said, I need somebody to inform of my will. So what he meant by that was, I need to pass something on. Somebody who needs to pass a message for me on my behalf. So who was there? There was Umar ibn Sa'ad. Umar ibn Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas' son. He got involved in the fitna. So he was the closest related to Muslim ibn Aqil. So Muslim told Umar ibn Sa'ad, let me give you my will. And he whispered into his ear. And he told him, 
send an urgent message to my cousin, Hussein Radiyallahu Anhu, not to come to Kufa. So what happened? Did he pass that message on? No, he didn't. So even though he was facing death, he didn't want Hussein to get into any any further problem, but it was too late. So he was martyred. Now Hussein's crossed the desert and he hears the news. He goes, your cousin has been martyred. Your support is gone. Hussein was aghast to hear the news. But now it was too late to return. Leaving Kufa to his right, he diverted his march to the west. Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad, the governor of Kufa, was by now closely following the march of Hussein radiallahu and he had thereupon sent Umar ibn Sa'd with a cavalry of 4,000 to encircle and trap the small honored band. So what's happened? Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad realizes this is the opportunity. Are you to get rid of the chief threat to their authority? Or so he thought. And he goes, we're not going to get a bad chance than this. He's only with his family members. So he told Umar ibn Sa'd. So now why is Umar ibn Sa'd getting involved? Because he wanted authority. There was a place that he wanted to be the governor of. It's called Ray. Ray. So Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad said, if you deal with Hussein, I will give you the governorship or the Khalif will give you the governorship of Ray. So by nook and crook, he got involved. So 4,000 cavalry now were sent to trap the small honored band. Hussein radiallahu was now forced to encamp on the destined place on the field of Karbala, on the bank of the Euphrates, about 25 miles north of Kufa. So Karbala is, you know, roughly like the distance from Sheffield to Leeds, about 30 miles, 25 miles to the north. Ubaidullah instructed Umar ibn Sa'ad for an unconditional surrender, because that's the only terms I'm accepting. Thus, when Umar ibn Sa'ad's force arrived, and they were told to surrender. Hussein radiallahu in turn proposed three honorable conditions. He goes, I offer three. The first, that I be allowed to go back to al Madina. In other words, he goes, by going back, there's no problem to your authority. He goes, the matter has been dealt with. Or if you don't accept that, the second, you should sanction or send me to a frontier garrison to engage with the real enemies of Islam. He goes, there's jihad taking place. He goes, send me there. He goes, I'll go into the front lines and I will do jihad. Or number three, you allow me to meet the Khalif Yazid in Damascus. So now why is that interesting? This indicates Yazid was unaware of what's going on. Otherwise, he would never have proposed that. Mm. These demands were flatly refused. So think about that. Hussein was obviously thinking about his family as well. And he was trying to save them, but he was too late. Mm. Thus, alas, on the fateful day of Ashura, the 10th of Muharram, the heart-rendering tragedy occurred. With their unholy designs, the uneven battle began. Mm. So what happened? Was it an immediate encounter? The answer is no. They were trapped on the field of Karbala for many days. Mm. And then many days they were 
fearful of attacking the family of the Prophet But eventually there were skirmishes and one by one they were falling. But the battle started in earnest on the 10th. The beloved sacred family of our Messenger were now beginning to fall one by one until subhanallah as fate would have it there now remained only the majestic grandson of Rasulullah So now what's interesting some of the opposing side actually joined Hussein's camp. There was an honorable man called Hur, Hur. And Hur was working for the Omeyyads at the time. And when he saw what was unfolding, he couldn't believe it because he didn't realize that they were going to kill the family of the Prophet. So he came over to the family of the Prophet and he says, my hand is in your hand. And, the, and the, uh, Hussein smiled. He goes, welcome. So they weren't all corrupt. Some of them actually joined. And he fell on the side of Hussein. And when somebody questioned him, why have you joined Hussein's side? He goes, I saw either paradise or hell. I chose paradise. The army of Umar ibn Sa'ad now hesitated. Why? Because who was going to kill Hussein? They were simply unwilling to charge towards the beloved grandson of Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa in Al-Bidayah, volume 8, page 188, Shimr, one of the unholy generals, thereupon said to his men, what is this delay? Do away with Hussein, because you've done everything else. He goes, finish him. Then Zara ibn Shariq al-Tamimi advanced, and he bore down with sword on the shoulder of Hussein, Simultaneously, Sinan ibn Anas ibn Amr al-Nakhi, came at him with a lance. So now what's interesting, both of these wretches struck the Imam whilst on horseback. Imam Hussein was critically wounded on the ground. So this indicates they were fearful. Why would you simultaneously attack on horseback against Imam Hussein? Meaning he was so brave. So he was wounded. Sinan thereupon dismounted from his horse and, Audhu Billah, he decapitated Imam Hussein. Verily to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we belong and to him we shall return. It is related, his blessed body bore marks of 33 cuts by lances and 34 by other weapons. All of this is recorded in Al-Bidayah volume 8 page 188. So he was left to last Imam Hussein and he was completely covered with wounds by lance, by sword wounds, meaning they were striking from close and distant. But eventually his blessed head was also taken. Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyah, he said, Rahmatullah 17 of the martyrs were the direct progeny of Fatima, the daughter of Rasulullah. This is in Al-Bidayah, volume 8, page 189. So they were direct children of the Prophet, meaning grandsons, grand great-grandsons. 17 of them were martyred at Karbala. All in all, the number of martyrs who laid down their lives with Hussein Radiallahu was 72. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with all of them. And indeed, he certainly is. Amen. So now Karbala. Karbala was a date with destiny. Because what happened? 25 years earlier, Ali Radiallahu, he passed by Karbala after the Battle of Sifir. He stopped. He took a handful of the soil 
and he was looking at it and he said subhanallah on this spot some men will be unjustly killed indeed they will enter paradise without reckoning subhanallah recorded by hafiz ibn hajar asqalani rahmatullahi in his tahdib al tahdib volume 2 page 346 so what's amazing 25 years before karbala his son hussein and most of his family members they were known by their father that they were going to be martyred for what great glad tidings to such pure and blessed souls i paradise without record meaning the ultimate so now imam ibn taymiyah rahmatullahi he said something here which is very interesting he said why did the family of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam go through such tribulation hasan they almost was killed by the khawarij then he was eventually poisoned hussein was martyred tragically at karbala and ibn taymiyah rahmatullahi said the reason they went through this was because they did not have any virtue in the sense of the early campaigns they were too young so in the lifetime of the prophet they obviously badr was beyond them ohud khandak hunain they couldn't participate but allah taala wanted to elevate them with those elite souls so he made them go through a tremendous tribulation so they could be with those elite souls and this is what ibn taymiyyah the gist of what ibn taymiyyah said meaning there was wisdom in why this was taking place subhanallah even 30 or so years prior to this it is related that our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam was given some of the very soil of karbala and he was weeping he handed the soil and clarified to his noble wife um salama radiyallahu anha when you see this soil turned into blood you will know that my hussein has been martyred sayyid um salama radiyallahu anha added i kept that soil in a bottle and i watched over it until subhanallah i saw on the day of ashura 61 years after the hijra it turned to blood i there upon you it was on this very day that he had been martyred this was later confirmed subhanallah this is in hakim in his mustadrak volume 4 page 398 hafiz zahabi in his seer volume 3 page 194 al bidayah volume 6 page 230 imam suyuti in his khasais al qubra volume 2 page 450 jam al jawami volume 1 page 26 and hafiz ibn hajar asqalani in his tahdib al tahdib volume 2 page 346 so let's look at this So now this is 50 years prior. Now when did the prophet when was he given this? He was given this when Hussein was born. So imagine everybody is showing happiness that there's a second grandson of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and obviously rightly so and then all of a sudden Jibril comes alayhi salatu wasallam and then he gives him some soil and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam inquires about it he goes your son is going to get martyred. and this is the soil so he gave sallallahu alaihi wasallam that soul to um salama now what's interesting this is a sign of prophethood because she was the only mother alive when that tragedy occurred the prophet didn't give it to any other wife she was the last of the mothers of the believers and he goes when you see this soil turn into blood you will know that my hussein has been martyred and she kept it and so imagine what you know what a thing to keep and she was dreading it and then how many years later 50 plus it turned into blood and she goes he's been martyred 
And then when they looked back, it was exactly that day. So Allah caused a miracle to occur at the same time in Al-Madinah. Now another important point. It is also most informative that thereafter, our beloved mother Um Salama radiyallahuma cursed the people of Iraq due to their betraying the beloved grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa recorded in Hakim Sahih, Zahabi Sahih. Now think about that. So she was so upset. Who did she curse? She cursed the Iraqis. Did she curse the Syrians? No. The Iraqis, because they're to blame. Indeed, Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahuma also blamed the Iraqis. In a famous hadith in Sayyid Bukhari, number 5994, Tirmidhi, number 3770, Mishkat and Uds. So now, what's that report? So the report mentions that a man came to Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahuma and he asked, he goes, if I kill a fly, do I need to give a sacrifice or expiation because he was in Ikhlam? So Abdullah ibn Umar asked him, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Iraq. So Abdullah ibn Umar goes, subhanallah. The people of Iraq are asking whether to expiate for the blood of a nut. And yet they shed the blood of Rasulullah's family. So Abdullah ibn Umar, he was waiting. And one of them came forward and he goes, look at these people. He goes, he's asking about the blood of a nut. And he goes, when the blood of the prophets, but no bother about it, no expiation there. So who did Ibn Umar blame? The people of Iraq. So now why is this important? We're not emotional people. You can get emotional, right? Yes, he's to blame, he's to blame. Look at the text. Who are the family of the prophet pointing their fingers towards? It's the Iraqis. Note that both of these hallowed souls, our beloved mother and Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar, had placed the lion's share of the blame for the heartbreaking tragedy on the Iraqis and not the Syrians. Thus, it would be fair to say that the following three were all responsible for that tragedy of tragedies. So this is, there's no dispute about this. Number one, the lion's share of the blame goes to the infamous governor of Kufa, Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad. So he was the big shaitan. He was the main instigator, the one who was moving the pieces for this tragedy to occur. He gets the lion's share. The second, the next major portion of blame goes on to the treacherous Kufans who betrayed Imam Hussein. So obviously, Come, we will divorce our wives, we will free our slaves if we break our pledge. Did they? Mm. Did they? Because they took the bribe. <laughs> so they also have got a major portion of blame of the blood of the Prophet. And thirdly, the Khalif Yazid is also not without blame. Why? For after the tragedy, he took no measures against his governor, Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad or any of those who were instrumental in the tragedy. So, was he blamed? Did he give orders? People dispute all that. But what nobody can dispute is that why did he not take any measures? Why didn't he immediately take Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad to task? Or Umar ibn Sa'ad or anybody? There was no discipline at all. So he also has a share of the blame. 
But to put them all into one category is unjust. <laughs> you understand? Right? To say that they're all, you have to explain that. Because the lion's share of the blame goes to the governor of Kufa. Then it goes to the Kufas. And then, of course, Yazid is not sinless. He's also got something on his hands because he didn't take any immediate measures after. <laughs> Subhanallah, like I mentioned, another mighty prophecy was fulfilled that our beloved mother, Um Salama, would still be alive at the time. Though this tragedy occurred 50 years after the sad passing of our beloved Messenger, indeed, she was the very last of the beloved mothers of the believers to leave the world. So note, everything is amazing. How did a man know that his grandson is going to get martyred? How did a man know that his grandson is going to get martyred at Karbala? How did a man know that the soil that's going to be brought is going to turn into blood on the day he gets martyred? How did a man know which wife to give it to? Right? So all of this is amazing. Why? Because it does nothing but increase our iman. He was Rasulullah. But the tragedy, the Prophet saw his young son and he knew that he was going to get marked. Think about that. Look how strange that was. And this was the burden the Prophet carried about his children. And what did I mention yesterday? You know, he had tears in his eyes. And he said that my family, he goes, they're going to suffer. Just to mention the report. The hadith is in Ibn Majah. And Al-Bidayah. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, We were once with Rasulullah and his eyes became bathed with tears and his color changed. When we inquired upon this, he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen for us the Ahlul Bayt, the hereafter over this world. Indeed, after me, my family will face affliction, expulsion, and exile. Subhanallah. So, what did the Prophet say? Allah has protected my family from the world because they're not going to get the world. They've been given the hereafter. But because of this, they're going to face many, many tribulations. And the Prophet, he was weeping because he saw all the tragedies. And if you look at all of the family of the Prophet, they went through so much tragedy. Many of his direct descendants were poisoned. You know, if you go through the list, even you can say Ali was poisoned because the sword that struck him was poisoned. Her son was poisoned. Hussein was martyred. Then you've got Zain al-Abidi. And you've got Jafar al-Sadiq, Musa al-Qazim. you got all of the descendants. And they were being poisoned. Either by the Umayyad, corrupt Umayyads. Or the Abbasids who then took over. But this was all prophesied by the Prophet Why? Because they were given the hereafter. So note again. Though I'm going through Sayyidina Anas's blessed life. I had to put all that in place. To get to the crunch which we will, inshallah, in the next session. So all I mentioned today, and it was in brief, there was no great detail, and there's no point going into detail, about the tragic martyrdom of Imam Hussein and the family members of the Prophet And of course, it was a great tragedy. But note again, it was on the day of Ashura. Allah also gave them that honor. The day that Allah chose for the Prophets, when Fir'aun drowned, in Sayyid Bukhari, when Nuh was all rested on Mount Judy, in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, and if you look at the history, many of the prophets were honored on that day. One report says Qiyamah will strike on the day of Ashura. But 
Hussein's martyrdom and his family also took place on that awesome day. So Allah Ta'ala was further honoring that day by giving the blood of the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?